Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To get a sense of the derisory way women's health and well-being has been treated in this country over the years, have a read of Miriam Lord in the Irish Times today. She is writing about Dr. Gabriel Scally, who has published a 200-page report into the cervical check scandal. As you will know, the report says the current policy and practice in relation to open disclosure in the health service was, quotes, deeply contradictory and unsatisfactory. It's revealed what many women and many of you listening will already be familiar with, the kind of medical misogyny that, as Miriam Lord writes, would make your toes curl. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Later on, we're going to be talking to three theatre makers, three women who are making some interesting work in upcoming festivals. And if you're a fan of Marie Kondo or of decluttering or indeed Ikea, you will want to stay with us for that. We also have some very exciting news about a competition in partnership with Brown Thomas, who are running a very fancy style summit from the 21st of September. They're bringing over beauty and style experts like Charlotte Tilbury and Sally Hughes. So listen out to details of how you could win tickets for some brilliant events. But back to that medical misogyny. The scandal emerged earlier this year after it was revealed that 221 women who developed cervical cancer had their test results audited by Cervical Check, but the majority were never told. And when they were, as Miriam Lord writes in the Irish Times today, the manner in which most of them were told was dreadful, inappropriate, unsatisfactory, damaging, hurtful, and offensive. These were among the words used by the author of the report that came out this week, Gabriel Scally. Lord writes that his report with its 50 recommendations is shot through with direct quotes from the women and family members caught up in the, quotes, demonstrable deficit of clear governance at cervical check. The quotes are highlighted in shaded boxes throughout the text and they elevate the subject matter of this exercise to a very different emotional level. As Miriam writes, some of the things said to those women by doctors and consultants would make your toes curl. The heartlessness, the arrogance, condescension and insensitivity of certain clinicians who either didn't want to get involved or couldn't be bothered leapt from the pages. The woman whose consultant couldn't look her in the eye. The consultant who said, what difference does it make to the woman who asked why she hadn't been told? The same one who answered, watch the news when the woman asked how she would be informed in future. And the one where the consultant repeatedly mentioned that the patient was a smoker while pointedly remarking, nuns don't get cervical cancer. Or the one who wouldn't answer any questions and ushered the woman out the door of his office and so on. Miriam Lord writes that cervical check was like a clown car of an operation for much of its existence. The concept of open disclosure only filtered down in 2014 and that was by coincidence. Apparently after a staffer got a HSE email on the topic because they were still on the email distribution list from a former hospital employer. 
As Professor Fiona DeLondres has tweeted this week, what a contrast to so many other reports we've seen in Ireland in recent years. It's open, candid and clearly written with an intention to inform, to spark change and to record and centre people's experiences. And I want to pray tribute to somebody now because she's someone who's been crucial to this um, whole debacle. Some of you will know uh, that Vicky Phelan has been the whistleblower in all of this. The mother of two was diagnosed with terminal cancer after receiving a false negative test result through cervical check. She discovered she had cancer in 2014 but was only informed that her test had been misread last year. She was given months to live and she has worked tirelessly on getting the truth out there about this scandal. Um, There's been some good news for Vicky this week with a CT scan showing significant shrinkage in her tumours and she has been talking to Ray Darcy about that this week. But as with anyone who speaks truth to power, Vicky has also come in for abuse and trolling, which when you think about it is an extraordinarily callous way to treat a woman who's been through what she has been through. In a tweet on Wednesday afternoon, Vicky Phelan said, It's time for some people to eat humble pie and perhaps apologise. I won't hold my breath, though. What she's been advocating for is a screening programme that the people of Ireland can trust and one which adheres to the highest clinical standards. And this requires investment and proper governments and that is all she's been advocating for and this report has more than vindicated everything that Vicky Phelan has been saying so we want to pay tribute to her again today on the Women's Podcast and her work makes me think of the new video by Hozier his song Nina Cried Power it's incredible if you haven't seen it go and check it out the video features all these activists and many women who've appeared on this um, podcast over the last few years people like Simon George Anna Cosgrave Elie Kassiambi Grace Diaz and I think today is a good time to think of all those people all over the world who raise their voices and who stand up for truth and for justice. So from everyone on the Women's Podcast, thank you to all of them. And especially as the hopefully game-changing Scally Report is released, we want to say thank you very much, Vicky Field. That was a little bit of Nina Cried Power by Hozier there. And it's really lovely because he describes it as a thank you note to activists in Ireland and all over the world, which is a great thing to do because we can sometimes take those people for granted. Now on to sporting matters. Um, As some of you will know, I'm not really a sporting person, but I've been following this because it... um, Piqued my interest for a number of reasons, which you'll understand. Uh, It's about Serena Williams in what could have been a moment of glory in her frankly incredible return to the tennis court from maternity leave and post-birth recovery that quite literally almost killed her. Serena Williams ended up accusing an umpire of sexism and of treating her more harshly than male tennis players as she lost her US Open final to Japan's Naomi Osaka last Saturday. It was uncomfortable and... In some ways, shocking viewing in a match where Williams, who was seeking a record equaling 24th Grand Slam singles title, was handed a warning for a coaching violation before being deducted a point for smashing her racket. She then had a very heated argument with chair umpire Carlos Ramos, during which she called him a thief and it cost her the game. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. I have a daughter and I stand what's right for her. I've never cheated. You owe me an apology. Code violation, verbal abuse, gang penalty, Mrs. Williams. 
Reaction to what unfolded in Saturday's final has been mixed. Some criticise Williams for losing control of her emotions. Others say it's just another example of how she's been mistreated by the sport. While many more say the overreaction of umpire Carlos Ramos is symptomatic of the sexism and racism that exists in tennis. Well, whatever you think about what happened last Saturday, I really recommend that you read Sally Jenkins' article in the Washington Post for some more context. It's called At US Open, Power of Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka is overshadowed by an umpire's power play. And I'm going to read a little piece from it now. Competitive rage has long been William's fuel and it's a situational personality. The whole world knows that about her and so does Ramos. She has had instances where she ranted and deserved to be disciplined, but she has outlived all of that. She has become a player of directed passion, done the admirable work of learning self-command and grown into one of the more courteous and generous champions in the game. If you doubted that, all you had to do was watch how she got a hold of herself once the match was over and how hard she tried to make it all about Osaka. Williams understood that she was the only person in the stadium who had the power to make that incensed crowd stop booing and she did it beautifully. Let's make this the best moment we can, she said. The tumultuous emotions at the end of the match were complex and they were deep. Osaka didn't want to be given anything and wept over the spoil. Williams was sickened by what had been taken from her and also palpably ill over her part in depriving a great new young player of her moment. The crowd was livid on behalf of both. Ramos had rescued his ego and in the act taken something from Williams and Osaka that they can never get back. Perhaps the most important job of all for an umpire is to respect the ephemeral nature of the competitors and the contest. Osaka can never ever recover this moment. It's gone. Williams can never ever recover this night. It's gone. And so Williams was entirely right in calling him a thief. Um, you might also have seen, that's an incredible piece, you definitely should go and read the, the full the full piece, it's online. But you probably have seen afterwards um, in the Herald Sun in Australia, there was a really disgusting cartoon of Serena Williams, um, which caused a whole other kerfuffle because um, in the view of many people, it was uh, nothing short of, of a racist depiction of the tennis player. And um, I think this isn't going to go away. There's been various rumblings with umpires being disgruntled with Serena Williams, but I think with all these things, it's great because it means that we talk about uh, we talk about sexism, we talk about the unfairness that women are sometimes um, treated to. So I'm sure Serena Williams, because she's such a brilliant sportswoman, will move on from this, and we look forward to seeing uh, what happens with her next. So before we hear from the creators of two brilliant productions, I want to tell you about this really great competition we have and a partnership that we will be running over the next few weeks with Brian Thomas because Brian Thomas is taking fashion and beauty to new heights with a style summit. It's going to be an unmissable series of internationally renowned industry experts, fashion and beauty masterclasses, headline speakers, discussion panels and global influencers in a new purpose-built panoramic venue on the roof of the iconic Grafton Street store. Now, we are going to be offering two tickets to listeners over the next few weeks to various events. And the first one is really exciting. It's at Charlotte Tilbury Masterclass. So Charlotte Tilbury, as many of you will know, is a wonderful makeup artist and has her own range that you can find in Brown Thomas. She's coming over to Dublin. She's going to do a makeup masterclass. And Brown Thomas have very kindly offered us 
two tickets. And what we want you to do is to write in a question that you have for Charlotte Tilbury, some kind of makeup advice question or something that you're wondering about a certain product or what kind of tips for eyeliner or lipstick. It can be anything at all. But just send it in to the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. That's the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. And the best uh, question or the one that we think will be best to give up to Charlotte Tilbury on the 21st of September will win two tickets and they're worth €120 each um, and that's redeemable on Charlotte Tilbury product so it really is a nice prize and uh, we hope you'll all email the women's podcast at irishtimes.com ask some kind of makeup question and we will decide who wins so very exciting Brown Thomas Style Summit and the first event that we're going to be partnering with them is 21st of September Charlotte Tilbury and we're also going to have a lovely interview with her too so we'll bring you that in a future episode We've gone very theatrical for this week's episode. Later on, we're going to be talking to actor and playwright Gina Moxley about her play for the Dublin Theatre Festival, which is called The Patient Gloria. But first, Billy is on in the Dublin Fringe Festival and it is all about your stuff draw, or as my friend calls it, your nervous breakdown draw. So-called because when you open it, you have a nervous breakdown because of all the crap in it. Um, it's the draw that has all the old charges for your phones that you stopped using, the bag of old coats you might need someday. Billy is basically a comedic and playful new piece of theatre named after IKEA's most ubiquitous storage solution, the Billy Bookcase. Created by Dublin Fringe Festival returners but first-time collaborators Sarah Gordon and Alice Malseed, Billy takes a dis believing look at the reassuring rituals of our pastel-coloured, neatly organised, turbo-capitalism-fuelled world. Sarah and Alice came into the women's podcast studio to tell me all about it. And we really had a laugh. You can actually have a lot of fun about storage. Um, You might be surprised. But anyway, here it is. Sarah. You've written a play based on Billy, which everyone listening to this will know because Billy is the bookcase. Billy is no longer just a name. We all know it as Billy the bookcase from Ikea. Um, and about the stuff we have and about what my friend calls the nervous breakdown drawer, which is the drawer you open in your eyes, which is so full of crap that it, it doesn't make any sense and you have to just shut it again. Otherwise, you'll have a nervous breakdown. Where are you getting all your inspiration from? Uh, well, I mean, I have a stuffed drawer too. <laughs> uh, my sister has one she calls the filing cabinet. Okay. Um we, I wrote this play with, with uh, another writer called Alice Mulseed and we had, it had come out of a lot of discussions about um, uh, the things that we value and uh, a kind of an illusion of control, you know, where, where we, everybody has a bag of old coats in, in the attic that they're never going to wear again, but they keep in case they might need it. You know, and a lot of conversations came out between me and Alice about stuff that we keep we keep because we might need someday. And there's a real kind of attempt to rationalise why you've got all this stuff and we're drowning in stuff we can't breathe um, and yet we're being told that the solution is to just buy another bigger thing to put that stuff that you have into and solution is a very big word storage solutions implying that there's like a fundamental problem in your life and this big case is going to fix it which is kind of a bit nonsense, but... Um, now, in defence of shelves, I just got a wall of shelves put in my uh, house and it's actually changed my life in terms of all my books, having a place and not being all over the place. And I do feel it's a bit of a solution. To yeah. It's, am I wrong? No, you're absolutely, you're not wrong. And this is also not from a place of like, we know that this is false. We do this too. Our houses are like, I mean, I have just moved into a new house. I've been in Ikea a lot recently. <laughs> We've bought a Billy bookcase for the show, which will be coming to my house afterwards right, yeah, yeah. to make my life better and support my goals. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
it's, it is. It's true that you know we do feel better whenever we feel that there's a there's a little bit of order in our lives, a little bit of. Uh, a, a way to conceal all the chaos and, and to make things feel more manageable and more organised. And I think the thing about uh, organisation as a kind of a, a trend at the minute is also the fact that life is quite unmanageable at the minute and there are a lot of things that are very beyond our control. Certainly in Belfast, we haven't had a government now for over a year and a half. And it's a record. It's a, it it's a world record. Belgium. Yeah, I know. That's a really thing to be proud of, it's, isn't it? Yeah, <sighs> and it's, I mean, it's a kind of a thing that we laugh about, but we're also going, why are we not up in arms about this? Yeah. It's insane. But also, we do have the big Ikea out by the airport, so it's all right, we'll just go there and spend our time there instead. You know, it's it's a kind of a, a misplaced priorities. Um, there's also this idea of the storage units that open on the outskirts of a city centre once money comes into a city. So people are keeping that sofa from their mother's house, again, in case they might need it someday, uh, and paying maybe £120 a month to just keep it there. Uh, for And, you know, then you watch Storage Hunters, you know, those TV shows where people are going in and they're looking at those storage units and they're bidding on them. They don't know what's actually in the contents and they're expecting things like helicopters and diamonds and they end up with, like, somebody's old tax returns from the last seven years and a swarm of bees. You know, it's like, <laughs> so far, not what you expect it's going to be. Um, You're really selling this to me, I have to say. Well, <laughs> well it's, I mean, I think that there's also the thing of, you know, my my mum just had to pack up her parents' house because her, her mother died and her, my granda, has been moved to an old people's home because she has dementia. So we were packing up the house and you're kind of looking at the shape of a person that's that's kind of defined by the parameters of all the stuff they've left behind. So it's like a whole... Uh, in all this stuff that a person was in and you know you're kind of I was keeping wee stupid things I've I kept this little statue of a baby it's like a naked baby on a telephone it's horrible but I just it's such a it just takes me back to my granny's house it takes me back to when I was there and being a kid living there and um, it's uh, it's just about the the kind of the sentimentality and the attachment that we that we have to objects and how we kind of we remember people through the objects, but also about how that is exploited by any sort of advertising campaigns that are trying to sell us something. And they they uh, they don't want us to throw things away. They want us to keep buying and to buy more stuff. And it's kind of this escalation of capitalism that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the diet wrong. industry. If it actually fixed the thing, then there wouldn't be a diet industry. So they have to keep making new ones and inventing new ways. So they invent new storage solutions so that you keep more of your stuff. So that yeah. more, they need more storage. So there's, yeah. there's a bit of a I mean, circle there, isn't it? It's also very much a thing of like out of sight, out of mind. Mm. You know, a lot of the... The in with with, with the bully with the Billy bookcase, there is an optional d- drawer front that you can get to actually not have to look at what's inside it. So it's almost this thing of like, you know, it's there and I don't have to get rid of it, but I don't have to look at it. I don't have to feel surrounded. Yeah. So you're like you're kind of at that point kidding yourself that it's all sorted when actually you've just hidden it under your bed. Yeah. Now, Anya, you're performing in the piece. Um, do you have similar sort of thoughts well, on storage? I guess I do. I, I, literally, I think Sarah could probably talk for another two hours about storage. I get that impression. I, she kind of can, yeah. <laughs> I, I love kinda, stuff. I just love it. <laughs> kind of loathes to interrupt you. You're in like full steam ahead. I don't want to wanna. I just thought I'd better get you in there. Like, you know. um, I literally moved house this weekend. Oh, I just okay. moved house. And I had eight bags of clothes, which is unnecessary. Uh, and I live by myself and now I'm moving into a house where I'm sharing with people. And it's that idea of because I was living by myself, I was like, oh, I can buy this decorative vase that I don't need on a windowsill. And now that I'm living in a house with other people, I have 
items that really have no place to go. So They're you're going not going to live in my room. Unit to put them I in don't them. know what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it is, and it's like I'm really fascinated by like. Is it Maria Kondo? Oh, well, actually, can I tell you guys, Marie came to my house. No. I didn't have a drawer. I had a cupboard that was a nervous breakdown cupboard or a filing cabinet or whatever with all the stuff in. And uh, I was a bit obsessed with her. I loved that book. You know, what's uh, the Uh, life-changing magic uh, of tidying up? Tidying up, yeah. Amazing book, actually. And anyway, she came to my house. She's so terrifying in a really nice way, but she doesn't speak any English. So she just comes whispering Japanese. I'm going, (laughs) oh, oh, God. She tried to get me to, she tried to get into my drawers with the the clothes and stuff. I just had to put my hand up and say, Marie Kondo, no, you're not coming (laughs) in my drawers. No, Marie Kondo. Uh, Yeah. No, no. But I said, you can have this nervous breakdown cupboard. So she opened a chair and she sorted it all out and I have to say it's still sorted she, I'm so afraid that she might come back again and right. see I mean it's not as good as it was when she left it but but anyway but mentioning her she has made a whole uh, career out of it a whole oh, industry absolutely. it's but a whole industry and she has some good ideas about it yeah. you know, but also do you find that now you've got your, your Marie Condoed nervous yeah. breakdown cupboard which is no more nervous breakdown yeah, yeah. have you not got a new nervous yes, breakdown yes of course cupboard? I have Sarah yeah, yeah of course, course you I do. have because yeah. it's it's this it's, I know. You know everything is so fine yeah. everything is just <laughs> fine no it's honestly everything is great it's so fine just don't look in this don't look in this cupboard don't, don't look in this one. one are you saying it's like a metaphor for life in no. a way <laughs> no <laughs> God, that's no, ridiculous no, no, no. none of us live no. like that that's insane why would you say that Anya yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does it play out? There's two people in in the play. Yes, there are two people in the play. It's not really a kind of a traditional play. It's um, there's uh, little elements of of kind of um, almost like performance art, just in terms of like you're watching something that you're not quite sure you know how it's going to pan out, or yeah. it maybe does something different to what you expected to, which um, I certainly find really interesting to watch. And maybe that's a good time to bring in Orny's piece that she's going to do, a piece from the play. Yes. Um, set up the context for it. Uh, so this is kind of, I guess what I would associate this with is we lo- we watched a lot of QVC, which is that do you? really bizarre. Yeah. We kind this of has been like a group. Sh- sorry, can I just ask, do you have us? children? No. Yeah, see, I would do that if I didn't have children. I don't watch that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. I just haven't watched that in years. It's taken me back, but I used to watch it, you know. Well, when you're having your breakfast, that's yeah. what we've been watching is QVC. And oh it's, it's dark and amazing. And these women are, they all kind of look the same and they have this very glossy, quite high energy Vibe about like them, in the morning. but it's also the script uh, is like, and it's, they're on it. They're yes. saying all the things that they have to say. Yeah. A I use times. this product exclusively and have done for the last fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and every buzzword you could possibly hit and fit. And there's things that they say that you're like, that word doesn't mean what you think it does. Yeah. That, that word actually doesn't <laughs> doesn't actually also, mean anything. There's also the 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 um, disposability of yeah. that segment. That segment is just for the purpose. Get it out. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Nobody's really going to fact check it. Let's just do it. We'll right. see how many units we can shift and then we're on to the next thing. Okay. Yeah. So this is essentially a scene where we're selling a very vital product that really can change your life. Okay. Inspired by QVC. Inspired mm-hmm. by An QVC. Homage, you wouldn't An homage. Even say. I guess. A product that <laughs> promises to help change your life for the better. Okay. Let's hear it, Like a belly bookcase. Go for it. Coming to you in front of a live studio audience. Vast. Let's talk about time. That's the hours and minutes that make up your day. So tell me, Anya, how many hours do you spend, on average, chopping onions in your kitchen every day? I don't know. Four? Exactly. A few tears shed there, I'd say. And what about carrots? Add another two. Garlic? At least four minutes a clove. The bits get everywhere. Get stuck under my fingernails. What about making coffee? Opening a can of chicken soup? Toasting bread? 
pouring granola, spatchcocking a small bird of prey. These things take time. Time out of your day. Your time. Wow. I never thought about it like that. Sheila from Swindon hadn't thought about it either. She got a wake-up call. Without realising, she was suddenly 53, chained to a hob, poaching a ham, her fingers deep in hot, sweet glaze. Ouch. That sounds painful. It was. Her cuticles were never the same. Thus, if you're anything like me, you'll have a kitchen full of things that are taking up too much space and time. Condiments, curds, spices, herbs, Himalayan pink salt, lemongrass, cracked black pepper. Space savers full of cereals you've never used. No space left for things you actually need and no time for you. 53-year-old Sheila from Swindon had tried everything to save space. She evaporated all her milk. Goats, sheeps, cows, almonds, cashews, strawberry, semi-skimmed. She condensed her vegetables into stock. She reduced her juices to syrup. She cracked her eggs and put them in one basket. She dehydrated her fruit, crushed her garlic, deboned her fish, destoned her avocados, concentrated her efforts into minimising the contents of her kitchen. But then she discovered a real solution. Powder Pal. Powder Pal. Powder Pal is a unique powdered food substitute that actually works. It's a powder and it's food. Not only does it taste great, it's nutritionally balanced and high in protein. Crucially, it maximises the space available in your kitchen. Does it taste great? Of course it does. It tastes great. Powder Pal is delicious. Powder Pal is full of all those juicy nutrients that make life flow. Amino acids, maltodextrin, synthetic complex carbohydrates, medium-chain triglycerides, linolysic acid, alpha-linolysic acid, beta-cartoene and, of course, coconut oil. Because of this unique high-spec nutritional content, Powder Pal can actually be considered vastly superior to many foods consumed today. But what about my kids? Powder Bambino is our kids' range. It's exactly the same, but smaller. We also have Powder Pets, so Little Treacle and Mr. Barks don't feel left out. How exciting! So what does this mean for my kitchen? Don't ask me. Ask Sheila from Swindon. She calculated that she had lost at least 15 years of her life to food preparation. With Powder Pal, she gained that time back. Take control of your life today. With Powder Pal. Okay, I don't like the sound of that product. I know it's made up, but I, I mean, but you could see a time when maybe that is something. That oh, I actually used to sell a product like that. What? I lived in Australia and I used to sell a product like no. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's And is that so the way real. they tried to sell it? Uh, we sold it over the phone, but it was, it was the same. It was like powder food, kind of. Yeah. You don't yeah, need food drink. in your life, just have this powder. Yeah. And you lose weight really fast and it'll make your life more streamlined and, and you should feel bad about yourself that you eat food. What's mm. wrong with you? Wow. Don't you want to so live I hope more you feel sorry more? for having done that to people. Have you atoned for that sin? It's not a good thing. I mean, look, guys, if you want to change your life, you gotta, you got you to gotta sacrifice things. Does, sacrifice. does the play, um, I know it's not a traditional piece of theatre, which so much in the fringe isn't, which is why it's so great, exactly. you know. Um, but does it come to any conclusions? Do you kind of, or do you leave people sort of wondering about their stuff? Is that what they're walking out going, ah, thinking about all their well, bits I, and pieces? I mean, I think that's sort of inevitable as soon as you start. I mean, we were just talking about stuff drawer before where we started and then you know straight in that's the that's the thing you know we all have one um and i think that that's the really interesting thing that we want to do with the with the show that you know we're kind of 
it's it's about stuff, but it's also it's about all of our stuff. You know that like it's about all our stuff. <laughs> that was a very um, but you know like yeah. it's it's it, we like do Oprah. want people we do want people to come away. I am that's my goal. That's my goal. Uh, everybody look under your chairs. <laughs> Please, a car, everyone, a helicopter, and some diamonds. Um, yeah, that I, I, I will. You know, I think the most successful shows sometimes you come out having feeling a connection or feeling that that uh, you understand or something a little bit better about, or you kind of look at the things that are in your life a little bit differently, maybe from mm. a different angle. Um, and definitely, the show comes to to a series of its own conclusions um, that. Uh, there's a, I mean, you have to come and see it, but there is well, a, like that, there's yeah. a, there's a way that it ends. That I mean, it's taken us a little while to get there. When yeah. Alice and I wrote the play, um, we it was very much like we kind of had an idea of what it was, but then it really it wasn't until Anya and Vasiliki came on board and really like I mean, we really have worked together, the four of us, mm. to kind of find what's in it and to to mould it together. So it's really been like four people involved in the process, which has been really exciting. It's the first time that Alice and I have directed something. Okay. Um, uh, that that actually will be seen in front, you know, as a yeah. finished piece in front of an audience, which is, is has been a really fun process and uh, and has made a lot of sense for the work. Um, but I mean, I think the big thing about it is that is I think anyone can relate to like the concepts there within it. So I think people will see themselves. Yeah, I think that's the big thing that like sometimes you see a show and you're like, it's about a bigger thing. Whereas yeah, this, yeah. it's like it, for me, yeah. it definitely feels like a mirror. In a lot of ways. Like a kind mirror that's maybe teasing you a little bit about your terrible bad habits. Okay. Uh, but, like mm, um, yeah. So there's so many things going on in the fringe. Uh, sell it to me in a little pitch and tell me why people should go and then tell me where it is and how people can get tickets and all that lark. Okay, Billy is a show for anyone who has ever been excited about a trip to Ikea. That is me and lots of people I know. Yeah, I mean, that's all. <laughs> that's actually on. But isn't it quite sad? Sorry, when you say that, I actually go, yeah, that's me. And then I go, oh, God, what's wrong with you? It's legit. <laughs> like, how do you end up? Where is that? Like, yeah. where that? It's such a, it's such a brief I like the meatballs. I like the meatballs. I like the cafe. I do. I, I like going to the cafe. I'm excited about the one that's rumoured to open up on O'Connell Street because I don't have a car. Big news. Have you heard this? This is going into what? I've heard I heard a rumour. I don't oh know if this is true. God, God, I wanted to be true. So heard the same rumour up north. Now, did I tell you that? No, I no, no, no. Anya <laughs> came up and told us about it in Belfast. Starting no. a rumour right here. By the way, just so we were talking about Belfast and, and people buying and the government and stuff. I mean, I was up for a trip in, to Belfast recently and I have to say, I just want to tell everyone, you should go to Belfast. Belfast is an amazing city mm. that a lot of people down here don't necessarily think of when they think of, oh, let's go for a weekend. But it is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I went to the Titanic Centre. I brought my kids to W5. We stayed in a lovely hotel called um, the Grand Central on Bedford Street. And we had a beautiful meal in a place called Fratelli's. It's just a really lovely place. The people, I have to say, including yourself, Sarah, are lovely and friendly (laughs) and really um, just so nice. So I just wanted to give a little plug for Belfast. Well, thank you. I'm having that. Instead of buying more stuff, just have an experience in Belfast. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm having a great time. I mean, it's so close. It's only off the road. It is. Sometimes it feels... Feels like we're quite far away sometimes. You know? Yeah, that is that's um, very profound and it's true. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. The future is bright. The future is bright. We're all excited about IKEA and trips to IKEA, and this is going to appeal to anyone yes. like in that so way. The uh, the show is on in uh, Smock Alley Theatre, um, and it's on from the seventeenth to the twenty second of September. Uh, so that's the second week of the Fringe. So that's I think great because you know there's been a lot of build up, there's a lot of excitement yeah. already about it. I think it's uh, starting this week. Um, 
and we're hoping to get to see lots of other shows as well. There looks to be a really great lineup this year mm. of things that are yeah, happening. Um, so the show is on, uh, the, there's a preview on the first night at 6.45 and then every other night it's on at 9pm and we also have a Saturday matinee at 2.30. Okay, well, I am definitely going to be going and I'm going Great. to be, you know, telling my certain friends specifically <laughs> to come with me because we can all kind of bond over yeah, our storage yes. issues and solutions because I think there are solutions and storage is a solution. Yes. Sorry, I don't care what you say. It is a solution. I'm not, I didn't mean to rake <laughs> on storage. I love storage. Storage is great. Wow. My new room has loads of shelves. Does it? I'm already like, I'm going to fill them up. I'm going to make <laughs> them look so good. They're going to be so stylish. I'm going to stylish shelves in my new house. Shelves. You buy them empty and then you fill you them fill up. You fill them up. fill them up with crap. Then I'm going to put them on Instagram. I'm Where is your little baby statue sitting in your house? Uh, it's sitting... Uh, I have a, a, a set of shelves that actually came from my granny's house and they're they're packed on your scene. They're packed with with stuff. I've kind of like tried to keep all my stuff in one section and the rest of the room is quite sparse because it's quite small. But the little baby is like pride of place, like right in the middle of the top shelf and everybody comes in and they go, oh, oh I love that baby. <laughs> oh, that's it's very unusual, know. isn't it? He's very cute. Oh, yeah, he's a cute that's baby. Very okay. kind of you to say I do know him. who he is. Yeah, um, and after Billy, what's next for you? What's going on? Um, I mean, it's tough out there as an artist and as a theatre maker and all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. A bit thankless to some degree, or what does yeah, it feel well, like I mean, that? I, I think the exciting thing about Fringe is that it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't feel like you're investing at the risk of losing anything. Um, I think because it's such an open audience that generally come to the Fringe shows and uh, the Fringe team are so supportive and it's not just like an individual show. That's a great... I, I really enjoy doing shows in Fringe. This is only my second, but um, and this is Alice's third. Uh, so uh, after Fringe, um, I mean, we love to take... Because the show is kind of... Uh, because we're from Belfast, we would love to take it to Belfast as well. So hopefully there would be some life beyond Fringe for for this show. Well, we I all, think you should do it in, in Ikea in Belfast. In I think Ikea. that's the prime. Yeah. Uh, and in the new one on O'Connell Street. Come definitely definitely that's definitely, definitely, that's definitely, definitely. I'm going out to tell 100%. the news desk this hot story. And if it's <laughs> yeah. wrong, Onya, honestly, I'll be coming after you. I'm the source for all your hot Ikea gas. You can go to me anytime. I know all about it. Brilliant. Listen, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you about shelves and other matters. Um, um, thanks very much. The best of luck with it, and uh, everyone can go and see it in Smock Alley. Thank yes. you. Thanks Thank, very you. Much, Thank hey. you. That was Sarah Gordon and Alice Malseed, very entertaining women, speaking to me about their piece of theatre, Billy, which runs as part of the Dublin Fringe Festival in Smock Alley Boys School from the 17th to the 22nd of September and I really think that's going to be very entertaining so do get along to that. Now, actor and playwright Gina Moxley's latest work has been called a timely meditation on female desire in a new political context where misogyny is the winning ticket. The Patient Gloria is a meditation on female desire inspired by the 1965 films Three Approaches to Psychotherapy also known as the Gloria films. Gina spoke to Irish Times journalist Bernice Harrison about the play and what drew her to the story of Gloria. So welcoming into studio Gina Moxley, uh, author of The Patient Gloria. And my first question to Gina has to be, who was Gloria? Gloria was a 30-year-old woman who was in therapy with a guy called Shostrom who's the producer of these films, Three Approaches to Psychotherapy. Now, I had never heard of these films. Uh, that's grand. Okay. Nobody has. Okay. <laughs> Do you know? I'd say, like, most people are going, my God, I miss them. Listen, okay. I'd say about 10 people. 
have seen them. And so what were they? <clears throat> they were in the 60s. They were in the 60s. And this guy had the notion, it's like the beginning of reality TV, mm. to show three eminent psychotherapists at work with a patient. And Gloria was a patient of the director-producer. And he kind of pimped her out, mm. really, I think, uh, to these three guys. So they were kind of... Uh, showing their wares, showing their kind of therapy mm. through her. But uh, a friend of mine alerted me to the films. And they're just fascinating. I mean, they seem kind of dated because her problem, so-called, she was supposed to present the same problem to oh, each, to each of one. the oh, therapists idea, and though, see how, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. how they deal with her. And uh, her problem essentially was that she was recently divorced and she was horny. And fair enough, like she's 30. (laughs) And uh, she had a couple of kids. And her nine-year-old daughter, Pammy, was obviously onto Ma. Mm. Like she knew exactly what was going on. She was snooping in the cupboards and like finding sex books and asking awkward questions. And she asked her if she'd slept with anyone since she left daddy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Gloria... What Gloria say? To Gloria this said, no, she hadn't. Oh, okay. But she was riddled with guilt mm. because she'd lied to her. And she was trying to kind of rein herself in and be a good girl, but she really, really wanted to be bad. Like, mm. And she wanted it bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, this was the... This was the central kind of theme of the therapy. Right. Essentially. And so this was a, these were movies. They went out. Was that a sort of a betrayal of her? Was oh, that a, did that expose her utterly. horribly? Now, did they, she realize at the time? No, not no. at all. She the agreement was initially that uh, these were teaching aids, mm. essentially, mm. for students of psychotherapy. So they were going to see like these great guys in action with a real live patient. So this had never been done like this was it was recorded in 64 and put out in 65. And my reckoning is that when they saw the films, the guy thought, wow, this is like gold for then. And she had signed some kind of a release form. That was for, like, college use or whatever. Mm. And then somebody gave her a ring one day and said, oh, I saw you on TV with uh, Fritz Perls this morning. And so big alert. And then they were also uh, in movie theatres. So it transpired. She tried to take a case against him. And she didn't get anywhere. He'd said, you signed the form, blah, mm. blah. So in your, in your play, The Patient mm. Gloria, wh- where do we find Gloria? At which point, at which point do we find her? It's, uh, we have Gloria almost, it's almost like she's making a podcast, actually, mm. uh, that she is at a desk, at a microphone, kind of doing an edited version of what happened to her. Now, it's very postmodern. Do okay. not all postmodern. <laughs> you can do and say what you want. Excellent. Excellent. Now, does that give you as a writer more freedom to, uh, to work in that it, kind of shape of it, theatre? It's kind of what I'm interested in. 
especially. Um, you know, I've been kind of brainwashed by Pan Pan. You know, it's like <laughs> Pan Pan Peter I do company. Know. Yes. Um, so uh, I was when I saw the films, I was really interested in them, essentially from a performance. Mm perspective that here's this woman and what they're she's really quite different with each therapist and uh, like the whole thing is who who are you Mm. what's your authentic self what's your genuine real person but she comes across as quite different in each of them but then like that's interesting from a performance point of view because when you take on a character you're trying to be as true as you can be so that was my initial interest in it so there is that in Gloria but uh, Leave O'Donoghue plays Gloria mm-hmm. fabulously and I play the three psychotherapists right. and there's a third cast member uh, there's a musician musician also. yeah excellent Coach so, Reardon is your musician yeah so uh it's about being quite kind of obvious about the performance, but coming in and out of it because I'm in the middle of saying something as one of the therapists, but I'll have an aside hmm. as Gina. And also the whole thing is kind of cut through with uh, reactions, monologues, uh, observations hmm. of what women go through, the pathologizing of women's desire mm. from my experience. Okay, well now the, the Abbey have, have uh, the, their line about it is sort of so tantalizing. It says, this is a timely meditation on female desire in a new political context where misogyny is the winning ticket. Yeah, pussy grabbers win. And of course, we're recording this in the week that Louis C.K. arrived yeah. back on stage. And they're all back. It's like extraordinary. And as in a, the week where Serena Williams can't wear certain things on court, mm-hmm. the other woman who's turning her top around because she had it on back to front on the court is fine. Like yeah. it's just bonkers. Mm. I I heard some somebody say the other day that you know Louis C.K. was off for what ten months for for the most extraordinary misogynistic abusive things he did, Winona Ryder took 20 years to revitalise her career after being caught for shoplifting. I know. Like, Like, so where are we? So... You're this is a a play for the Peacock stage. Um, Have you've had plays on the Peacock before? Uh, I did a co-production. Oh, God, Fado, Fado, with uh, Koshkame and... and the Abbey, it was called Two and Snare Drums. Okay. My God. Mm-hmm. About, um, God, that was about desire as well. Mm. I'm a one-trick it's a theme. pony. It's God, a theme. I love us. It, that was about uh, women during Lent in the show band era. Oh. And they were all like gagging for sex. <laughs> and the devil has to come into the, to the hall to kind of put manners on them. So, yeah, okay. I'm still flogging well, the same old thing. <laughs> well, now, you, you know, you, you refer there, Fado, Fado. Do you, do you sense now that there is a different atmosphere after Waking the Feminists? Is, it different? is theatre scene in Ireland different now after Waking the Feminists? Um, certainly in terms of awareness of gender bias, general bias, whatever, people are a bit kind of scared. And like you see, even... 
the fact that I have a show on in there uh, might not have happened four or five years ago. Mm. Uh, they're certainly really open mm. to having conversation. We're interested in the topic. Uh, things are changing really quickly. Mm. Like the Pope's visit, I think we've turned a huge corner. Uh, you know, the marriage referendum thing. Like, it's kind of, the ground is moving quickly. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. But we have a long, long way to go. Well, interesting you say you play the, the three psychi- psychotherapists in, in uh, The Patient Gloria. And As of course- I say in the show. Because I want to. <laughs> well, why not? Like, you wrote oh it. Why my not? God. Um, so that's also sort of a, a gender issue as well, yeah. because you're playing roles that were men. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, Ruth Negga playing Hamlet in The Gate. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you think of gender blind casting? How, how do you feel about it? I think it's about bloody time. Do you? Yeah. Mm. Uh, like there's, there's such a backlog in terms of the dearth of decent parts for particularly older people mm-hmm. that if I was waiting around for them to be written, I'd be in a box. Like, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So is so, that a motivation factor for you in creating work? Because you can't be uh, hanging around waiting for the phone to ring. Actually, you can be creating it and they mightn't put it on either, you know. Uh, it, it No, it's, it, it's not a particular motivation. Mm. No. Okay. Um, but in this case... Like, I kind of jokily said, because I want to play the three of them. But as well, it's like, well, you know, I'm obviously doing it in front of people, Mm. you know. So it's very clear the performative notions that we're playing with. So I don't think it's a problem. Like, who could care less in this day and age? Because you're dealing with the themes, isn't this it? Yeah, it's themes. It's the storytelling and it's the themes. Absolutely. And like, I do have a bit of crack morphing from one to the other. And there's, uh, you know, I need bits of anatomy to help me to get into the moral character. Is this what the blurb means when it says things could get messy, very messy indeed? Up front, I'd say. Up front, and lastly, if you could you I, you mentioned Kortje Reardon is doing the the music. How does that work? So where does music fit into this story? Uh, Adam Welsh actually is the sound designer. He worked with both Leave and myself on Lippy, the uh, Dead yes. Center show. Mm. So he's a genius, that fella. I think he's fab. So my idea was. Actually, at one point, we thought about having a child in the show and have three different generations of women. And then I thought, oh, geez, if you have kind of police clearance and chaperones and my ambivalence by children. And uh, then I went to see Pussy Riot. And I thought, no, no, to mind children. <laughs> Give me a guitar player right. or a, a musician on <laughs> yeah. stage mm. that was just much more in the kind of punk vein that I wanted mm. the thing, the themes to kind of reef through the thing, to be much uh, rougher and kicking at the door a bit. Yeah. So that's how that, so, that came so about. So your musician, Kutcher, is going to be on stage all the yeah. time, is that yeah. as well? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much, Gina Muxley, for coming in to the Irish Times Women's Podcast Studio. And I should say that her play, The Patient Gloria, is on in the Peacock stage uh, from the 28th of September to the 6th of October. 
Thanks very much, Gina. Thank you. That was Gina Moxley speaking to Bernice Harrison about her play The Patient Gloria which runs in the Peacock Theatre from the 28th of September to the 6th of October as part of the Dublin Theatre Festival in association with Pan Pan. Um, just a reminder to enter our competition with Brian Thomas for those tickets to Charlotte Tilbury's Masterclass on the 21st of September. Just send us in a question that you have for Charlotte about makeup or about eyeliner or about lipstick, anything you want. Send that to the women's podcast at irishtimes.com and we'll pick the best one. And that's it for today. Thanks to Bernice Harrison, Gina Moxley, Sarah Gordon and Alice Malseed for joining us on today's show. Remember you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast. Also we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time so if you like what we do then please head along to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. The podcast is produced by myself Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 